Need that. I, I did, it's on. It's on. We are continuing our study in the life of David. Let me get my notes pulled up here. Here we go. I don't need that. You can just blank it for now, Matt. Beautiful. We're in 1 Samuel 27. Let me give you guys a little uh, background of what's happened in David's life lately. All right, studying the life of King David. He is not king yet, but he is anointed king. Um, and currently he's on the run. His, uh, there's a little bounty on his head. King Saul is trying to uh, take David's life. So David is hiding in the wilderness. And he comes across Saul's army. And he, saw, he sees, this is chapter 26, previous week. He sees Saul sleeping. And the Lord puts the entire Saul's army in deep sleep and he sneaks into the camp. And he's standing right next to King Saul, who wants to kill him, right? And he sees a spear in the ground, stuck right next to Saul's head. And, his, and Saul's uh, right-hand man who came with him sneak into the camp. Says, hey, let me take that spear and drive him through and through. Be done with this and never have to worry about him again. And David's like, no, I'm not killing Saul. I'm not murdering someone who the Lord anointed as king. Far be it from me. Let the Lord take his life, not me. So Saul, David spares Saul's life. And we leave it off at, in chapter 26, Saul takes the spear, he takes the water jug that was next to him, and hightails it out of the camp, and goes up onto a ravine, a little ways off, where he can yell to the army, but they can't really get to him easily. And he wakes up the guys, and he says, Hey, hey, Abner, King Saul, um, look what I got. I got your spear. I spared your life again. This is the second time now I have spared your life. God has handed me, God has handed you over to me, given me the opportunity to kill you, and I didn't take it. Saul, I value your life. Please value my life. And uh, you'll read here in chapter, sorry, 26, verse 21. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. So we leave off with Saul leaving a promise to David. Come back, buddy. I'm sorry. My bad. All is forgiven, I hope. And bygones be bygones, and, and I'll spare your life. I won't chase you anymore. Let's go back on with life. And that's where we left it off. So before we pick up in chapter 27, I want to open a word of prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. Lord, God, I give you thanks that your name is great. As you are the Lord Almighty, you are seated high and lofted above all things in this universe. You reign supreme. I pray that this day that all that is said and done will be honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, I pray that your word will go forth in power and truth. May you be glorified this day. In your son's name, amen. So Saul pronounces this promise to David. All right, you spared my life twice. My bad. I'm sorry. Let's go on. Come back with me, David. And uh, let's see what David does. Verse 1 in chapter 27. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. So David and his 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, 
son of Madoch, king of Gath. David and his men settled there in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, David and his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. So David has some decisions to make. Hey, Saul says we're all good. Uh, you know what, though? I think I've seen this before. Is this deja vu? Because I think Saul before has tried to kill me. In fact, he's tried to kill me. Uh, he tried. To, he threw a spear at me. He threw a spear at me. Let's see, he tried to cut my head. You know, he's really tried to kill me many times in my life, actually. And every single time, Saul says afterwards, oh, my bad, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry I tried to kill you. I should have done that. And yet, it seems like just a few months down the road from now, he does it again. Huh, what should I do? Maybe I should go back with him again this time. And David's like, nah, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, why does Saul, why does David not trust Saul? Because you can't trust him. You can't trust a single thing that comes out of this guy's mouth. He's an habitual liar right now. You can't trust his word. Every time Saul says something, he tends to go back on his word lately. Especially with David. He is, has an untrustable character. His word is meaningless. His word is meaningless. So our first lesson today doesn't come from David. It actually comes from Saul. How good is your word? When you say something, do you actually follow through? Follow through. There's a lot of things that we say in everyday life. Like, um, oh, you need some help? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that for you. All right? Or, sure, I'll, I'll come pick you up when you, need, when you need something. Oh, yeah, just just give me the phone call. Just call me when you need me, and I'll be there. Definitely I'll be there. Or, uh, oh, yeah, I can bring that over to you anytime. Oh, you know what? I don't need that right now. You can have it. Just let me know and you can have it. Um, I love this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. How many times have you said something to someone? Someone says, hey, hey, come over here. I need you. You know, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, maybe this is in, in your home or wherever. You call someone and said, yeah, hey, can I get some help? Yeah, yeah, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. And then they don't come. And then they don't come. And they don't come. Oh, you coming? Yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. Right, is, is that any of us? I know that's me sometimes. I know it's me time. Have you ever told someone you're going to do something and you didn't quite follow through? Oh, I know why. Because uh, we have our great excuses. Oh, man. I forgot about that. I, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I forgot. I totally forgot. Crossed it. Slipped my mind. Oh, you know what? Something came up. I couldn't help you out. I couldn't help you move because something in my life came up. I know I was said I was going to be there, but something else came up in my life. And that was obviously more important. Um, you know I completely forgot I even said that. Have you ever said that before? I, I don't remember saying those words. Did I really say that? No, nah, I don't think I even said that to yourself. And then, oh, you know, we just didn't have time. Just didn't have time. Are those things that you've ever said? Do you know what that's done? It's, it's destroyed your word. Your trustworthiness is gone. You say you're going to do something and you don't fall through. Does the Bible speak about that at all? Well, turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. <coughs> James 5 and verse 12. James 5 verse 12. Above all things, my brothers... 
do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no or you will be condemned. It's pretty harsh verbiage right there. The author is saying, listen, guys, you say you're going to do something. You say, yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll come help you. Yes, I'll help you move. Because we need someone, we need help moving in a couple weeks, right? You say you're going to be there to help me move. I'm looking for people to enlist and helping Mrs. Kells move. You say you're going to be there. You know what? Show up! It's simple. If you can't do something, then say no. I can't do that. But don't say yes and then have no intentions of showing up. Or even, even having good intentions of showing up. Because if you still have good intentions of showing up and you don't show up, then what good is your word? Your word is what you have. No one can, uh, I've heard this your whole life, right? That's the only thing that no one can take from you is your word. It's actually kind of true. Stick true to the things that you say. There's this very parallel passage um, that's, that Jesus shares in verse uh, Matthew chapter 5. You can read that one. Uh, turn with me to Numbers chapter 30. Going back to the beginning of the Bible here. Numbers chapter 30. Moses is now talking to the tribes of Israel. So, Numbers chapter 30. Moses says to the heads of the tribes of Israel, This is what the Lord commands. Guys, direct commandment from the Lord. Ready? When a man makes a vow to the Lord, but takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word. But he must do everything that is said. If you say something, you say you're going to do something, that you're going to be somewhere, that you're going to help someone, do it. It's that simple. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, ma- I'll make a box. I'll make a, uh, uh, what are those, uh, uh, shoe boxes. I'll make a shoe box for the, uh, man, I can't even think of it now. The Christmas uh, drive that we do every year. Operations Christmas drive. Yeah, I'll make a shoe box. How many of you said, yeah, I'll make a shoe box, and you sign up and put your name on the list to make a shoe box, and you did- didn't make one. How many of you said, oh, yeah. I'll make a meal for our potluck supper next week. I'll do that. I'll sign me up. Sign me up. Count me down to provide a meal. And you, and you don't bring one. How many times you said, yeah, you know what? You need help moving something? I'm going back to the moving one again. That's just definitely in the subconscious right now. Um, oh, okay. You're fixing your house? Yeah, I'll come help you hang your door. And then oh, the guy calls you. I need help right now. Sorry, I'm busy. I can't come. How many times have you said that you're going to do something and you come up with some excuse that you just can't do it? The next time that person needs help, do you think they're going to call you? There are people in my workplace and even Christians that I've worked with where I'm organizing something, I'm looking for help, and people say, yeah, 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 sign me up, put my name on that list. I'm there, I'll be there for you. The time comes, they're nowhere to be found. Next time I need help, do you think I can go back to them for help again? No, because I can't trust them. I don't. They hurt the relationship. There's harm done to that relationship. In our marriages, in our friendships, especially in the realm of us as brothers and sisters, when we say we're going to help out our brother and sister, even if it's something very small, you got to come through. Because it hurts us. Someone's counting on you to do something. They're looking forward to you doing it, and then it doesn't happen. It's something very small, guys. But it's really meaningful. We need to be people who can be trusted. 
We need to be able to trust one another above all things. In this own room, we need to be able to trust each other. You say you're going to be there for someone, be there. You say you're going to do something, even if it's very small. Oh, yeah, I'll call you this week. I promise I'll call you this week. That's my, this is my classic. I say I'm going to call someone this week, and I never call them. You know, it's something very small. But to that person, it may have been something very meaningful. And I didn't follow through. Now, what's my word to them? My word's meaningless. It's nothing. They won't believe what I say next time. We are to be people that everything that comes out of our mouths, we are to do accordingly. So be careful. Think before we speak. Before we say we're going to do something, think about, am I actually going to fulfill that? And if you do say yes, then make sure it gets done. I don't care. Get out your phone, write down a note, put the timer on your phone so it beep, 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 and the alarm goes off to make sure you get these things done, guys. Figure something out. And again, I'm speaking to myself because I'm, I'm like, we should be men and women of integrity. Especially in our workplaces and our lives, the people that we come in contact with. You claim to be a Christian, then you know what? When your boss looks at you, they should know that if they ask you to do something, if you volunteer for something, you sign yourself up, that they have no concern in the world that you won't come through. That you will definitely come through on your word. That everything you say and do will be done. So that was our first mini lesson from the book of Life of Saul. Now let's get into David's life. So what do we see David here in going back to Samuel? So David thought to himself, Samuel 27, verse 1, David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul, and the best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. That way Saul will give up looking for me. And what does David do? Just a, just a really short lesson. Does David leave his men and his families behind? Now, he takes them with him. So one, one thing I have to give credit to David is he always looks after those under his charge and his family. He always takes care of his family. He provides for them. He protects them. No matter what the circumstances are in his life, he's always trying to take care of those under his charge. Anybody that's within his responsibility, he's always trying to do his best to take care of them. You know, his, his family, his, his uh, parents, he hid them when he was on the run. He took care of his parents, went out of his way to take care of his parents. His family here, he's bringing his family with him to make sure that they're provided for, that they're protected. As individuals today, as parents, as bosses, anybody who's under your charge, whether it be your kids, whether it be your spouses, whether it be people in your work, are you actually doing the best that you can to protect them, provide for them, do good by them? Or are you always trying not to get number one, take care of number one first, and then everyone else will fall in line later on, maybe down the road? Are you putting other people's needs first? Everywhere David went, he's trying to take care of his family first. We should be doing the same thing. Whether you're a parent or not, anybody who's under your responsibility, are you trying to take care of them? <clears throat> now let's see what David does here, all right? Let's get on to the second lesson. David thought to himself, one of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Do you think David has a uh, legitimate reason for saying these things, that someday Saul's going to kill me. Do you think he was legitimately afraid? A little bit scared for his life. Yeah, this guy has tried to pin him through and through with a spear multiple times. Saul has tried to actually murder David many times. Yeah, I'm sure he's scared. I have no idea how to relate to him at all, but yes, I'm thoroughly convinced that he is petrified for his life. But even the great David here, one who has done so many great things for the Lord, one who has great faith, has a weakness that he's showing right now. 
He's allowing his fear to control some of his actions. See, he is so afraid of dying out of the hands of Saul that he's going to make decisions that he probably shouldn't have made. And we'll talk about what those are in a minute, okay? But does David have a real excuse to actually be afraid at all? Well, who is David? What's happened in David's life in the past? Wait a minute. Samuel came to David one time, and what did he do? Anointed him by the word of God to be king. Do you think that's kind of like just a, a, a miniature life insurance policy God taking out in your life? If God says that one day you will reign as king, do you think that anything in this world is actually going to stop you from that happening? If God said that this is going to happen, is anything going to actually stop that from happening? No, see, I, I, I know at times if David actually sat down and thought about that, he'd be like, you know what? Because it has happened. You know, when he was a boy, he took out Goliath. Listen, God's on my side. He can't touch me. David's proven that true. David took on a bear. He took on a lion with his bare hands and killed him. If anybody in the world could say that they know God's provincial protection. Providential. Providential protection. Sorry, my bad. Provincial. That God can come through and provide in the scariest of situations. David is one that should be able to claim that. David should be able to say, you know what? God can take me through the worst of things in this life, and I have no need to be afraid. Because he's done it to him before. Now, we claim that a lot of times as Christians, but we've never actually gone through it before. David's gone through multiple circumstances in his life where he has been threatened or facing certain death, and God has brought him through it, unharmed. He should be able to say right now, why do I have to be afraid of Saul? I should have no need to be afraid of him. Sure, he's, take, he's trying to take my life. Sure, I should probably try to evade him a little bit. But you know what? God's going to take care of me. God's going to take care of me. But what does he do? He runs off to the enemy's camp. And he goes and hides in enemy territory so that Saul won't come and follow after him. Was that a good decision? Was that a good decision? Um, Matthew Henry, I read this. Uh, he says this. God has delivered us. Each and every one of you. God has delivered us. And you know what? It's not just past tense. God will continue to deliver us. But unbelief is a sin that easily overwhelms even good men. Even the strongest of Christians, if a little bit of fear and unbelief creeps in, it can tear us down detrimentally. How do I know? Look at, look at Peter. Peter was a man of faith. How do I know Peter was a man of faith? Because he jumped out of a boat and walked on water. That's a man of faith. But when he looked around and a little fear, just a little bit of fear creeped in, what happened? He sank. Even the best of men, I mean women too, when a little bit, a little bit of sin, a little bit of fear creeps in, it's detrimental to us. We cannot allow fear to control us. You know who you are? You're a king's kid. You know what God has promised to you? That you're going to go to heaven. That he has a work for you here on earth. There is a mission, there is a task that God has for you here on earth. Do you think anything in this world can take your life until you've accomplished that work? I know that God has a plan for me. There are things that God has lined up for me to do. He has prepared good works in advance for me to do. And you know what? Until those are all done... Nothing in this life is going to touch me. I might get sick. Bad things might happen. Difficult times might come. But you know what? I'm still going to be here because God wants me to accomplish those tasks. And eventually when those are all done, 
then I'm ready to go. And if the tests he has for me are done tomorrow, then I'm done tomorrow. But if those tests aren't done till I'm 99, then I'll be here till I'm 99. I hope not. I'll go to glory. But <laughs> whatever the Lord's plan is for my life, that's what's going to be. David should see that. David should know that. Because he has shown it many times in his life that he has no fear. But this one time, he's allowing fear to take over control and, and, and causing him to make decisions. Look at Abraham. Uh, go to Romans chapter 4. Abraham's an example of what to do. All right? So Romans chapter 4. <clears throat> you know, the story of Abraham. God promised Abraham a son. Abraham's like, whoa, I'm like 100. And my wife is in her 90s. Uh, how's that going to work out, God? Uh, God, you promised me this great nation. So many people I can't even count. You know, descendants above all the numbers of the stars in the sky. How's that going to work, God? And uh, Romans 4.18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. So when there was no hope to be found, what did Abraham do? He had hope. When all hope was lost, Abraham still had hope. He in hope he believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Abraham never wavered. God made a promise to me, will come true. I will never, ever discredit what God has told me. I'll never say, ah, maybe he didn't mean that. No, God said it, and Abraham stood by that promise. God has made promises to us. Are you standing on his promises? Where was I? Regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. God has made promises to us. Are you fully convinced? Are you fully persuaded in your mind? No one can tell you otherwise that God will come through the things that he's promised you. God has made many promises to us. Do you actually believe that? Do you stand firm on those? That nobody convinced me, no matter what you say, cannot convince me otherwise. No matter how great your argument might be, how persuasive you might be, you can't persuade me otherwise. I know what God has said, and I know what he will do. Is that true in your life? I pray that it is. Back to Samuel. So in the midst of hope, what do you do? Sorry, in the midst of fear. In the midst of fear, what do you do? Do you run and hide? Or do you stand true to God's promises? Verse 1. But David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. And the best thing I can do, the best thing, you guys read, I love this, the best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Do you really think Saul, David, I mean, do you really think, David, I'm sorry, a little bit of respect here, do you really think the best thing you can do is go run and hide in the Philistine land? Is that really the best thing you could do? Right, I'll give you a little human advice. Why don't you get your military leader, sit down and have a little powwow, you know, have a little meeting, and, and, and put forth a plan, you know. 
Why, why don't you have a little... Uh-oh, what happened to my notes? Why don't you have a little planning committee, all right, and figure something out, all right? Have a, get, form a little committee with your military leaders and, and, and put for the plan. Maybe you'll come up with better ideas, David. Maybe you'll come up with better idea. All right, that's some humanly wisdom. Some godly wisdom? Maybe seek out a good godly friend who can give you some advice. Maybe go find Samuel, or someone, not Samuel, because he's not around anymore, he passed away. Go find someone like Samuel, maybe a prophet, who can give you some godly advice on what you should do. Even better yet, David, here's probably the best thing you could have done. Ask God what you should do. How do I know that would work? Because that's what he did in the last two chapters. When he was faced with the decision, hey God, should I go fight the Philistines? God, should I go over here? God, should I do this? What did he do? He asked God first. He got a priest. He got an ephod. He put a prepared a sacrifice. And they asked the Lord. They gave praise to the Lord for protecting them and said, hey God, what do you want me to do next? And every single time David did that, what happened to him? His success and he was blessed. He was within the Lord's plan. What did he do this time? I'm not even going to consult God. i got to go. And he takes off running, because that's what i got to do. That's the best thing I can do right now is, is depend on man to save me instead of God to save me. He made a very rash decision here. And I don't think it was a good one. Yeah, strategic-wise, in human point of view, if you want to hide from someone, go somewhere they're not going to look for you. Okay? Now, you might on the surface think that maybe it's not a bad idea to go hide in the Philistine country. Because you know why? That's Saul's enemy. Saul's not going to go look for them there. Why is that not a good idea? Let me give you a little parallel of why that's not a good idea. Ready? Let's say you're all hunting for me. You want to take my life, so you're all hunting for me to find me. I'm not going to go hide in my house, because that's the first place you're going to look. I'm not going to go hide in my parents' house in Canada. That'd be a good idea, but the border's pretty open there. You'll come get me anyways. Where am I going to go hide? Where you won't find me. I'll tell you, I'll go hide in a bar. I'll go hide in a nightclub. I'll go hide at a, um, a gentleman's club. I'll go, hi- I'll go hide in there. You know why? Because you won't look for me in there. I guarantee it. I'll be safe in there. Do you think that's a good idea for me, though? I can't get away from you. But the temptations that are in those locations probably aren't good for me. That's what David's doing. You see, Gath, the city that he goes to, yeah, um, there's a reason why God wants to wipe that place out. Because the things that occur in that city are not moral. These are not upstanding, outright people who follow God's law. The things that you see just walking down the street, you, you shouldn't see these things, okay? No man should be seeing these things when walking down the street. Sexual immorality is rampant in this place. Saul decides to take his men and his family, sorry Saul, David decides to take his family and himself to a place where temptation is going to be unreal. Unreal. At least in his own land, the things that are evil in God's sight are generally suppressed. But he's going to a place where the law of God has no place. And man does whatever man wants to do. He's putting himself in a place where, yes, he won't be caught. But you know what? He's putting himself in a place of great danger for temptation. Probably not the best thing he could have done. Foreign temptation, foreign women, foreign gods, foreign idols, 
foreign sacrifices, foreign worship, foreign drugs, everything is all going to be now at his feet every day in the streets when he walks around town. Probably not the best thing, best decision he could have made. All right, let's pick up in verse 5. All right, First Samuel, uh, Samuel 27, verse 5. Then David said to Achish, again, this is the king, right? He's the king of Gath. Um, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in a royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him uh, Ziglag, as it was belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men... Oh, no, stop there. Sorry about that. Stop in verse 7. So what does David do? So David is now living in this mega town. All right, this is the big city he's living in. And he's living with the king. And he's probably living there for a while, seeing all that's going on. And he's like, eh, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Maybe I should move out. So he goes before the king and uh, he asks the king, does he demand of the king? Give me a new home. I want a new home now. Give me the best place you've got in the city. Does he do that? No, he comes before him humbly and says, king, if I found any favor in your eyes, would you be willing, would you see fit to find me a new home? And I'll go wherever you take me. You know, why, why, do you think, why do you think David does that? Well, here's the first one. You ready? Has David ever lived in the same home with another king? Yeah, he lived in a home with Saul, right? How did that turn out? After a few months of living with King Saul, Saul wanted to kill him because he was jealous of him. Now, he's living right now in a home with another king, and the king knows him very well. They, these, these guys actually know each other kind of well. They've had past experiences with each other. And David's reputation and fame for being a mighty warrior is kind of world-renowned. Everybody knows who he is. So the king says, no problem, you can come live with me. Your enemy is my enemy, so we're kind of on the same page here now. I hate Saul, you hate Saul, so you know what? We're actually kind of friends at this point. And uh, they're living together, and if you find out in the next chapter, David is actually, they had kind of a mutual relationship to protect each other. David's actually kind of his bodyguard. So David is, in the next chapter, the bodyguard for this king that is enemy with Israel. It's kind of a weird relationship. Um, and he says, hey, hey, king, can I move out? Well, one, his past experience with the king is not, living under a king is not a good idea because the king tried to kill him. So he's like, yeah, maybe, maybe this is overdue. Maybe I should get out of here. The next thing is, he, maybe he's seeing all the temptation on around him and saying, maybe it's time for us to get out of here. This is not good for my men. It's not good for my family to witness these things. Can we go live out in a side town where we can actually be free to worship how we want, free to govern ourselves as we want, and I can minimize the distractions and the temptations around my men and myself. Not a bad idea. And another idea why he wants to do this is because no one's going to watch him. He can go do whatever he wants now. Nobody is there sneaking around as a spy because David's an Israelite. He is an enemy of the Philistines. He's like, hey, there are enemies all around us, all the time. If we go live on an outside town, we can kind of get around, do our business as we please, and we won't be seen. And you'll notice in a minute why it's kind of important. Because David's 
going to go on some raiding missions, and he's going to attack some Philistines without the Philistines knowing about it. He wants to be a little sneaky, sneaky about it. He's like, if I live in the city and everybody's watching us, we'll get caught. So let's go live on the outskirts. So when he comes before the king, this is, this is David here. How does David approach the king? He approaches the king in humility. He approaches the king in humility. Guys, we are to be a humble people. We are to be a humble people. All right? We are to be a people uh, that does not demand or expect anything, especially from God. David comes before a very powerful person. Does he set demands and expectations from that king? Not at all. Does God owe us anything? Does God owe you anything? God, I've been a good Christian. I've gone to church my whole life. I've helped out with Sunday school. I've helped out the one. I've made meals for people. I've given faithfully to the offering box. God, you owe me health. I don't want to get sick. God, you owe me some money in return. How come my investments aren't yielding the things that I was hoping for? I was hoping for a 10%. I only got a 2%, Lord. Come on. Really, God? Does God owe us anything? He owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. And in fact, what should be actually the other way around? Should be I actually owe him everything. We cannot be the people that demand anything from God. We are to be humble people, especially before God. We are also to be a humble and meek people to those around us. Blessed are those who are meek, Jesus says. Not a people who are weak, but a people who are meek. Those are the people who will inherit the earth and be blessed, Jesus says. We are not to be people who feel a sense of entitlement. There is nothing due to you here. Nothing due to you. Jesus Christ lovingly gives us many things, though. But we are not to be people who feel entitled. Beggars cannot be choosers. I'm a beggar before God. God, I need you. I need you. And I can't be picky with what he gives me. Just simply grateful with whatever he does give me. So, <coughs> excuse me. Matthew, PowerPoint. So the king says, all right, you want to move out, David? Fine, you can move out. Uh, and in fact, I'll give you, whoop. Let me see if I can pull this up for you. Uh-huh. Is this showing up here? No, 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 there you go, whoop. And then, how do you blow this up, present? I'm sorry for the uh, hard-to-read font, but maps from 7,000 years ago are hard to come by. So this one here is a little fuzzy, all right? Not laughing, that's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> all right, so, sorry, it's hard to follow. Again, I can, it's really hard to follow maps. So David went down here, hit his parents down here, remember? Run away from Saul, hit his parents down here. Then he heard that the Philistines were attacking Keilah. And he's like, Lord, should I go attack the Philistines? So he goes up, yeah, Lord. All right, God says, yeah, attack the Philistines. So he attacks the Philistines up here. Then after that, Saul's like, oh, good. David's trapped himself in his city up here. Let's surround him and get him. So he chases David up to Keilah. And David's like, oh, no. Uh, God, will the people of Keilah give me over to Saul? And uh, God's like, yeah, you should leave. So he leaves. And he goes up here and he hides up here. Then... Up here is where he meets David. Sorry, he meets Saul and he steals a spear, spares his life. And Saul says, okay, my bad, I'm sorry. Come back with me to 
come back with me to Jerusalem and we'll be all good. I should work, not Jerusalem yet, but come back to my home and we'll be all good. And David's like, nah, maybe not. I'll cross over. See, Brown over here, Philistine area, evil enemy territory, Israel, safe territory. He says, nah, I'll cross over to Gath over here where I know the king kind of well. We're not really on good terms because we're still enemies, but I know who he is and I'll go hide out with him and he'll let me stay with him. So that's what he does. He hides over here. Then uh, the king says, David goes before him and pleads with him, hey, can I have a new home? And sure, he gives him Ziglag, this place right here, Starred. All right? He gives him Ziglag. David moves down to Ziglag. What's interesting about Ziglag? If you go back and read Deuteronomy, that's actually supposed to be Israel territory. Ziglag is a territory that when the Israelites first moved into the Promised Land, they crossed over um, the Jordan River, they attacked, what was the first city they attacked? City of Jericho, Jericho. No, okay. They attacked Jericho. They drove a wedge in the land. They conquered in the south. They conquered in the north. And then they divided up the land. And every one of the 12 tribes got an allotment. They got a piece of property that God promised them. This right here, Ziglag, is a piece of property that God promised to the tribe of Judah. But at this point in time, they never got it. Because the Philistines lived there. But since David moved in there, Guess what was true about that piece of property? It belonged to Israel ever since. So even through this, God is still fulfilling his promise to the land of Israel that, listen, all this land here will one day all be yours. And he slowly even conquers a piece of that land, even through this instance right here. So Ziglag is where David moves. Let's see what David does next. Let's finish reading the rest of the chapter, all right? So verse 8, we're going to read to the end. Now David and his men went up and raided uh, Ges- the Geserites, the Gizerites, Gerzites, the Gerzites maybe, sorry, the Gerzites and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in this land, extending from Sur to Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took the sheep and the cattle, the donkeys and the camels, the clothes. When he returned to Akish, sorry, then he returned to Akish. When Akish asked, where did you go raiding today, David? David would say, against the Nivig of Judah, against the Nivig of Jerahamel, and against the Nivig of the Canaanites. He did not leave man or woman alive, but brought to Gath, for he, sorry, he did not leave man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David has done. And such was his practices as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. Akish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so odious to his own people, the Israelites, that he will forever be my servant. I don't know if you understood all the, uh, uh, the implications going on here. David's lying. Okay? Here, I'll show you the map here. Ready? So David says, hey, what's, I'm living down here right now, a little far from the king. I'm a little separated in a little town. I can do whatever I want now. And you know what? We need some food. I have no supplies. I don't really have my own home and farm or anything to produce food. Hey, you know what? Let's go attack the enemies of Israel. Let's go attack the people that God told us originally to wipe off the planet. So he goes over here and he attacks the Gerzites. He attacks the... Jesus. Uh, <laughs> what? 
the Gershites, sorry, and he attacks the, uh, I can't, can't say, I was practicing at home and I had no problem. Uh, he attacks these people. These are the enemies of Israel. The enemies of Israel living in Philistine territory. What did God tell Israelites to do to the Amalekites living right here? What did God tell, them, tell Israelites to do to them? Wipe them out. Utterly destroy them. Kill them all. Get rid of them. Wipe them off the face of the planet. Did Saul do that? No. Saul did not follow through. And that's why God took the kingdom from King Saul. Wiped them out. So David's like, hey, I'm here. I'm close to their home. Let's take advantage of this. And he would go out on raiding parties and go to one town at a time, basically. One town at a time. Walk into that town. Everything that moved, he killed. Except for the animals. Every human being, he wiped them out. Took back the food for himself and lived in uh, Ziglag here. And anytime he saw the king, the king was like, hey, David, what'd you do today? Where'd you go and get all that food and stuff? Where'd you get all the supplies? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Guess what, king? I went down here to the, the Canaanites. I went down to the Dremelites. All right. I went down to this territory, which is Israel territory, and I stole from them. So he tells the king that he's robbing from his own people, the Israelites. But in fact, where is he robbing from? The Philistines and the Amalekites. He's deceiving the king. He's outright lying to the king. Outright lying to him. And the king's like, man, David's a bad dude. He's killing his own people and taking their, his own people's supplies. His people must hate him. Dude, he is mine forever. And the king's like, man, I got the number one mighty warrior in the world living in my home. Yeah, he's my bodyguard. And the king is thrilled with this. He thinks that his, the king's, so, um, um, uh, Akish is thinking, man, this guy is beating up my enemy, stealing from my enemies, and he's my personal bodyguard. This is great. That's what the king's thinking. What has David done? He's really done the opposite. He's going to beat up Israel's enemies behind the king's back. And he never gets caught for it. For a year, almost a year and a half, he lives there, and this is what he's doing for a year and a half. But what has he done the whole time? He's lied. He has lied the whole time to the king. Was he justified in doing that? Was he justified in deceiving and lying to someone? Is it ever justified in the Lord's sight to lie and deceive people? Ever. Do you think David ever felt guilty about this? Do you think David ever felt guilty about his lying and deceiving of the king? Turn with me to Psalm 119. Well, if you've been to John Clifford's study on Psalm 19, who wrote the book of Psalm 119? David wrote this. Okay? So what we're about to read are David's own words. Psalm 119, verse... Oh, Psalm 119, verse 28. Uh-oh. Yeah, okay, good. Psalm 119, 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way and I have placed your ordinances before me. Another translation says this. Keep me from my deceitful ways. Another one says this. 
Keep me from my lying self. Do you think David ever felt guilty about his lying, deceitful ways? David, a man after God's own heart. I'm not saying this was this instances here that he this, that caused him to come, this, come across this, but at some point in David's life, when he's reflecting over the things that he does, he is admitting before the Lord, God, I messed up. I should not have been a liar. I should not have been a deceiver. Please keep me from myself from doing that. Because I'll tell you what, do I ever lie to get myself out of trouble? Yeah, I do. A lot. Sorry, I'm not a lot, but sometimes. <laughs> I forgot you were in the room. Uh, <laughs> she catches me, though. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes I lie to get myself out of trouble. Or if I want to do something that ah, no one else will ever know about, I lie about it. That's what David was doing. He's going around behind the king's back, and he's lying to his face. Yeah, God's taken from the taken from my own people, the Israelites. They really hate me right now. What's the fact he's doing? He's killing the king's own people, and he's killing all of them so that no one can ever report back to what he's done. He's lied. He's been deceitful. Go to Colossians chapter three. While you're turning there, I'll read you Proverbs 12. Bet you can't guess what's written in the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom, right? The Lord detests lying lips. The Lord hates lying. Psalm 12, 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Delights in people who are trustworthy. Are you someone who the Lord detests because of your lying lips? Okay, kiss that, scratch that. Does he detest you? No. Does the Lord detest the things that come out of your mouth because of your lying lips? Or is the Lord pleased because you say things that are delightful and are trustworthy? Alright? Colossians 3, uh, 9. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to each other. Do you need to underline that in your Bible? This is, this is not black, this is not gray zone, okay? This is not some of your Christian liberty involved here. This is simple. Do not lie to each other. Easy, don't lie to each other. Okay? Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, you are dead to your old self and your old sinful ways. You are now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a new living being inside of you. The Holy Spirit, stop lying. Not appropriate, never called for, never okay, no matter what the circumstance. Honey, you always look beautiful. But that's true. Do not lie to each other. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, that those around you may benefit from listening. God's view on lying is wrong. It's, it's just all bad. He detests it. We know this from the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Saf- oh, Sapphira. I can't even say it now, man. Gonna kill me. Ananias and Sapphira, right? What did they do? They lied to the Lord. What did the Lord do to them? He took their life that day. The day they lied to the Lord, he took their life. Lying is not okay. It is never tolerated. So, four simple things that we can learn from David's life. Do not let fear control you. Do not let fear make you cause, uh, make rash decisions. Always consult the Lord before doing something. Lord, what should I do? 
He'll answer you. He'll make his way. If you ask the Lord what to do in your life, he'll make it plain and clear to you if you're honest before him. All right? Um, don't, don't put yourself in situations where you're going to increase the amount of temptation in your life. Don't do it. Protect your families. Protect those under your care. And lastly, don't lie. It is not okay. It is never okay. Yeah, did David get away with it? Yeah. Does it look like he was doing the Lord's work while doing it? Yeah. But it's still not justified. It's never justified. So let's close in prayer. Lord, I got to give you thanks that you're an almighty God. And I thank you that your law is perfect. There's no false in your law. There's not a single word written in this book that's an error. Lord, you tell us to be people that are trustworthy, people that have integrity, that keep our word when we say we're going to do something. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, not to lie to each other, but to build each other up, to encourage each other. Help us to be united and bonded together in love with one common purpose, to share the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone that we come across. Lord, help us not to be a people who are afraid people who are fear, afraid of death, people who are afraid of, of what the world might think about us, but may we go forth in boldness, trusting that your promises are true, that no matter what this world throws across our way, no matter how difficult life might get, you are with us, you have never forsaken us, that you will be with us all the way to the end, and that the plans that you have for us are good plans, because we will be with you forever in heaven, and we will reign with you when you have given us eternal life. We give you thanks this day for the promises you made to us. Help us, Lord, to stand by them firmly. In your son's precious name, amen.